We're going to take a look this evening at uh, the work being done to uh, train young women in uh, application development and in uh, programming, which are certainly some of the skills and uh, uh, competencies and capabilities that are required in uh, this uh, fourth industrial revolution that we find ourselves in. My guest is a Senior Managing Director at uh, Uhuru Spaces. She's also the CEO of uh, Girl Hype, which uh, Girl Hype, uh, hyphen, woman who code. Uh, which is a non-profit uh, organization that provides programming and uh, app development training for young girls and young women. And she joins me now in studio. Good evening to you. Her name is uh, Baratang Mia. Baratang, how are you? I'm fine and yourself? Very, very well, thank you. Uh, let's maybe start off here, uh, I guess, with uh, getting some brief background uh, to your own journey into uh, the world of science, technology, and uh, uh, what in general, people call STEM. Uh, how did you make that foray? What was the bug that bit you, uh, that made you want to go into this particular space? Um, I I was exposed to coding by default. By uh, default, how? Yeah. <laughs> I I used to. I had start, just started girl high. Besides me coming from a place where it was the first time I touched a computer when I got to university. Okay. Within two years of graduating, I met someone who told me they can teach me how to code within one hour. Sad part is I can't, mm. I don't know. Who, when when was this? That was 2003. Okay, all right. And so the third part is I can't remember their name now, but um, it was at an internet shop and I said to him, okay, show me how to do this. Within one hour, I had learned how to code. And by the time I published Whoa. my first website, I knew this is something I'm going to do. So wait, this person taught you how to do it in an hour? In an hour. It was on front page. <laughs> it's, it sounds... Um, so with front page, you cut... It's like drop and drag and drop. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah, okay. it's, and, uh, but the outcome is similar to what someone would do if they were to write... The coding language like mm. Java or whatever, or Python or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then, uh, what what then happens? I mean, after that fateful encounter at uh, an internet cafe, what happens thereafter? It was, I think I've I've always been one to speak for the rights of young girls, mm. and it was something that I was very passionate about, and I chose education. So. Um, you know what? I, for some reason, I've always loved the engineering side of things, mm. and I happened to have watched the guys coding a game before, which was mind blowing. And wow. I thought to myself, you know, it's a space where there was no women, mm. and also computers. There was no computers in the townships, so you get the um, the digital divide was very very huge. So you get to university and it's the first time you use a computer it was just a disadvantage so i thought to myself the problem when i got to where i was mm. it was not me it was um, the it was system, system yeah. and i needed to participate in fixing the system and i think the world has always been so injustice against girls mm. and i mean talk to us about you know how your experience of that particular injustice which emerged from a system rather than your own doing um, I guess compelled you to say, let, let me do something different. Let, let me ensure that young girls have an opportunity here. How did that happen, and uh, what were the early days like? You know, it's. I I think now that I'm getting older, it's 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 fine, 
But at the time when I was at university, I was very passionate about it. I even ended up going into the SRC and telling myself, you know, it's something that we needed to solve. Mm. Um, when I got to UCT, it was still a very white institution. And um, many people would argue that it still is. But, yeah, <laughs> no, but no, I get I, I get your point. Yeah, yeah. It, it was still a majority. And mm. the other thing is, the education system was not like it is now. Mm. So I'm old enough to have gone through the system that was designed purely for black people, and it was a system where you could not do anything with the education you received mm. unless you went to the model C's or whatever. I didn't go to that. I went sure, to a township sure. school, and. So getting into a, a university that's just a door away from where I live to, okay, I came from Clexton, but you know what I, you get what mm, I mean? I see what you mean, yeah. It's, it's, it was so sad to realize that by virtue of being black, I did not receive proper education. And the gaps that I had was huge to the point that my first year was just a nightmare. I, there was a point where I thought, okay, I'm giving up. And I was very fortunate to be at an institution where people were like, no, you're not going to give up. Mm, mm. And um, I remember going to the faculty and saying, I'm dropping one, two, three, four, five, six subjects. And they said, no, 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 you're not dropping them like that. Let's see what we can do. And I then realized if the university can do that for me, you know, fix English, the, um, go to extra meds, mm. why wouldn't that have happened when I was still at school? Mm. Why did it have to happen so late? Why did it happen to happen so late? Yeah. And it was not... It's not a nice experience to feel insecure because of something you did not design. Mm. We did not design our education system. Somebody decided that black people decided needed this kind of education and the resources will be... Uh, that just caused a lot of havoc. Mm. And now you get into a system where you're like, okay, now I've worked hard and then it knocks your knees. And then it's, it's, it's like a back to square one mm. where mm. you're constantly feeling like you are not worth it. And that's not right. Yeah. And I think we're still going to suffer. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to take centuries to undo that because uh, it has a ripple effect and a knock-on effect. Uh, we still continue to see the same under-resourcing of our rural and our township schools. Mm. It continues to this day in 2019. We still I have know. that. Um, but talk to me about the early days. I mean, uh, uh, you know, how did you set it up? Where did you find the resources? And when I say resources, I'm not only talking about money. Where did you find the people? Where did you find uh, the spaces to be able and the relationships uh, to be able to do what uh, what you do with Girls Hype? So I, like I said, I had studied at UCT and I knew the system very well. Mm. So I knew that there's uh, Shoko, there's all these societies that were happening on campus. Yes, yes. And I also knew that if you belong to a society, you can book a computer lab. So I made friends with some of my, of the university students that were still there because I had already graduated. Okay. And um, one of them was Tepi many at the time she was still um she's now married i can't remember as a finger Tepi mm. was still in the src and i said to her hey, if you book the computer lab and i started working with her and um i would take some of her friends or she will you know and we i ended up using the university students okay to come and teach the girls in the township ah. and the computer labs we would get computer labs from uct uwc stellenbosch university was the most amazing university ever to help me set up the structure of Girl High, besides um, the help that I got from the home. 
to set up this whole thing. Mm. Um, I'm going to take you back to that part, which was most fascinating. But the Stellenbosch University, I went there and I spoke to some of the professors and I said, through a friend also, who said to me, come and do a presentation to our department. I spoke to the professor and I said, this is the situation. And I didn't talk about anybody, I talked about myself. Mm. I said, if I could finish university with all the, with that education that I got, that means that whole township can still succeed in this mm. institution. What mm. do we do? And they designed a conference for young girls. Wow. Um, Two-day conference, it was STEM, hands-on activities and everything. And that have, we've been doing forever. We just had to drop institutions. But sure. So so that's become a key part of your own operational program as a business now? Yeah. Or as a, as a non-profit? This, as a this non-profit. Yeah, yeah. It, it's that conference for the young girls. We, we do it like once a year, but we do hands-on activities. Mm. And for me, coming into the world where I didn't know how to use computers properly, even though I was taught how to code, I still needed to close certain elements. Yes. Um, and my husband at the time said to me, hey, you know what? I'm going to call the people in the IT department to come and help you. So his people in the IT department will come to our house every Saturday and teach me how to code. Mm. That's when I learned HTML, CSS, JavaScript through them because they will come spend the whole day. And it was different people from his IT department. Mm. None of them was a woman. That proved to me that, wow, there's something wrong. And we started an NGO with him and two of his other friends. And... For me, it was like, I have to do this thing. And every mm. time I learn, I would then go and learn. And I ask students to design the curriculum. Now, the university students are different from everybody else. Mm. They took their first year curriculum and taught it to the school, children in schools. For I want us to pause there. So you're saying they took their first year curriculum, their first year curriculum. and gave it to children who are in primary or high school? Children who were like between age 10 to 17. Okay. Or I want us to pause there. We need to take a spot break. But when we come back, I mean, I, I think that's a poignant place uh, for us to pause. We're going to take a spot break. When we come back, uh, I want you to unpack how that actually happened because it's fascinating. Let's take this break. 14 minutes it is after 8 p.m. And uh, you tuned in to Metro FM Talk. And we're having our tech conversations, which we bring to you every Wednesday. And uh, we discuss uh, key developments in our ecosystem here in South Africa. And uh, we bring to you some fascinating guests. Um, and uh, I have a guest in that vein this evening. Uh, her name is Baratang Mia. And uh, she uh, joins us uh, here in the studio. And uh, she's talking about her journey. Uh, as uh, the CEO of Girl Hype, Women Who Code, which is a non-profit organization that provides programming and app development training for young girls and uh, young women. Uh, she's also Senior Managing Director at Uhuru Spaces. You were saying, uh, Baratang, before we went to the break, that uh, you got the students in. Uh, they took their first year curriculum in uh, a computer science, I would assume. Yeah. And uh, they gave this to 10-year-olds, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds. Yeah. What happened thereafter? Um, you know, what was funny is I, I went to them because for me, it took me long. It took me like two months to learn HTML, CSS and JavaScript. And I was learning mm. so that I can go teach other people. Um, because I had gotten contract with the British, um, embassy to go mm. teach kids okay. about global warming at the time, but use science. Mm. I just sneaked in computing. But when I went to this students, I, there were CPT, CPUT students and one UCT student. And I said to them, guys, we really need to teach young people. I have one young people. Can you come and volunteer? It was in partnership with the Cape Chamber. Mm. Can you guys come and volunteer? And if you volunteered, you'll be able to get a job through the chamber. They will assist you with the job. Yes. The students said, oh, cool. We love that. 
And so I said to them, we don't have a curriculum. He said, don't worry, we have a curriculum. And they popped up with their first year curriculum of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. In two weeks, they had taught kids who were like between 10 and 17 how to code. They had their website. They had everything. So at the end of those two weeks, these 10-year-olds were able to build websites? They were able to build websites. One of them happened to have been my daughter. She was 11 at the time. I still have pictures with them. Your daughter built a website at the age of 11. Yeah, she was 11. Now she's 26. But she had built her website, the first website at that age. Um, there were small little boys, like my son was seven. Mm. Um, him and his friend, no, um, 11. So he's, he's three years. So could you could have been nine. Him and his friend were building gates. Whoa. Through the university students they were showing them this is how you do console this is how what you do with um your there's another game that i forgot how to they built that and i then realized if these kids can build html css and javascript at this age we don't have to be teaching them anything less than that so mm, we still mm, use that mm. same model we do w three schools and we use the same i still have the copy of the first copy that those students gave wow. me. Because it's, it's like, it was huge for me to see mm. something being taught at university, just being taught to a 10-year-old and they mastered sure. it. How, how did support and maybe some of the relationships that you later built, how did that feature in how this particular model was scaled and how it later grew? Um, we then started approaching corporates because what happened was universities were providing space mm. and computers and the internet at the time, which was the best place to find internet was at universities. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, corporates were supplying, supporting us with funding to make sure that we pay for the food, the catering and everything. Mm. I've always worked full time for myself. So it was two things at the same time. I was running this program as an after-school program, a school holiday program, and still getting myself a full-time job or maybe I'll fundraise. In the beginning, it was very easy because I then landed a contract to design, to be um, part of the team that designed the city of the website for the city of Cape Town. Mm. So then I would do that full-time and I would place students within the city for I IT. Okay. And I had Girl Hype running at the same time. But now... It has evolved. The model has evolved. Mm. We've got different partners that we work with. Like now we're going to do the most amazing hackathon with Silicon Cape and wow. Hack On, uh, bringing more students into tech. And because you must understand, when I started, it was the digital divide. Nobody knew about computers. Mm. There wasn't many apps. There were. I mean, when I started, Mark was still building Facebook. It, it, there was no proper Facebook mm. lying anywhere. So now the skills demand has just shifted. It's so huge. Now we need to make sure that the industry with the skills they need, mm. it has to be met. You've also, you've also said that, you know, instead of just now focusing on 10, 11, 12-year-olds, you're also targeting unemployed youth. And At what point did you make that strategic shift in choice? Uh, it's been three years now mm. for us. I mean, some people have done it before, but for us, it's three years that we're really now focusing on unemployed youth. The stats is very disgusting. Mm. I mean, for our country, I'm sorry. When my life no, but it is. For no, our no, country, the stats is very disgusting. And, and also the education system is not catching up with the technology. So <sighs> I, I had, I went to, I'm a part of Techcom and I went to Silicon Valley. Mm. And I saw the kind of, the quality of education because I was fortunate to build visit tech schools and some schools mm. and I realized 
if we're going to operate at this level in South Africa, we're not reaching what we we want to be the producers of technology. Mm. And that's when I shifted my brain to say, there's so many of us now. When I started, there was no one talking about women in tech. Mm. And there wasn't many people teaching young people how to. In fact, I, can't, I didn't know anyone. I was the only one running around. So now there's many programs like Africa Code mm. Week. It's Africa Code Week this week. Yay, I'm part okay. of it. So it's Africa Code Week this week where we teach kids just entry level. Sure. Excite them. And then everybody has a role, different role to play. Mm. And I figured out that I need to choose a role sure. where young women needs to get jobs. Even anybody, any young person, really, we need lots of mm. fine-tuned skills in tech. Okay. I've got one programmer here uh, on Twitter, uh, Sibuneng, uh, the baby guy. That's his name here on Twitter. He says, uh, what can we do to bring this kind of program uh, into Kasi? And uh, I assume uh, that is in uh, one of the many townships that we have here in South Africa. is in Sishiko, actually, uh, suggesting that uh, um, potentially they could scale it up there. H- how can they bring a program similar to the one that you have here? Into Sishiko. Uh, where's Sishiko? <laughs> Sishiko is uh, just outside Pulukwane. Okay. So there is um, programs all over South Africa. They can take our program or they mm. can Google what to do. Or there is um, social coding. If you yes. Google social coding, they're based in that area. Uh-huh. And it, it will be easy to reach out to someone next to them because sometimes you need lots of foundational resources mm. if you don't have proper internet if you have proper internet learning how to code becomes a pcp mm. i can tell you now go to code.org you can learn okay and that's why the skill is so easily sure, accessible sure. to people with the resources mm. because we need to fix the internet in those places and we need to get faster good mm. computers to the kids sure. but i would suggest if it's in shiho or in any area the people must start looking for programs mm. that are like this now this okay. week which is africa code week yeah. if you just google on africa code week you'll find areas closer okay. to where you are all right let's pause there and take another brief spot break when we come back i want us to confront this issue of access to the internet 23 minutes it is after 8 p.m. and uh, it is indeed tech conversations. I'm in conversation with the CEO of Girl Hype, a woman who code, and that is Baratang Mia. And we're talking about uh, the journey uh, that uh, uh, they've undertaken alongside uh, the partnerships that they've had. And Baratang, you were talking earlier on and saying it's really easy to learn how to code or even scale a program that teaches people how to learn how to code if you've got internet. Yeah. And I'm sitting at a point now where I'm saying 2019, surely by now we should have had in every corner, every block, every street, some form of internet connection. Just as baseline infrastructure. Just like we have infrastructure amans going into our communities. Surely we should have some form of connectivity in our communities. No, no, no. It's not that true. It's, it's supposed to be like that. Mm. And even um, one of the best provinces is, in terms of internet for me, it's Western Cape. Yeah, yeah. And if, uh, maybe I'm biased because I live in Western Cape, but mm. I know I can get internet anywhere I am in Western Cape. When you get to the township schools, you must find a corner where you can sit and access Wi-Fi. I'm talking, I'm not going to go outside the province. I'm, mm. not, I'm in Western Cape. You still go to a school in Kailisha where they say we've got Wi-Fi in the school, but technically it's the principal's office, the admin, the staff room, the staff room and a corner in the uh, one, the computer lab, where the computer lab is, that's mm. where access is. Now you find kids are moving towards that area because that's where they can 
So it's there. not like ubiquitous across the entire no, pr- no, no, school no, it's not like premises. That. Mm. When you come, well, when you come this side, you come to the southern suburb schools or northern suburb schools. The internet it's is everywhere. just like, it's everywhere. Yeah. So for me, it's like internet is still an issue in South Africa. And if we are in denial of thinking that we have good internet, mm. we're talking about 2G, 3G. When you, you are 4G, mm, mm, mm. when you're on this other side, then when you get to my hometown, you, you have to edge. find the corner. You know, edge. Yeah. You know, I think the E. <laughs> it's the E. And or the right GSM. I know. It's like, mm. I, when I went, I go home sometimes um, in Jan Kemp. I, I I always say to the, to myself, you know, I can afford internet. One thing I don't struggle with, unlike many people, is that I make sure I have internet. Mm. And then I get there and it, my apps convert to free data. I'm like, who said I need free data? Because now it gets slow. Mm. You can't access it properly unless you are in a zone that is designed, which is now they're beginning to push it towards schools. Mm. But that's not fair. What what's the opportunity cost of that on on the kind of programs we can have and even unlocking our own innovation potential? I think you've said it all. Firstly, it's innovation and it's, it's skills. Mm. We cannot compete globally, and we cannot produce the skills of the future. It's it's straightforward. The skills that we need in the next coming three years are totally going to be different to what we have today. Mm. I mean, even coding itself as a skill is not going to be important in the next coming five years. For now, it's just because it's the growing industry and people can get access to it faster. In the next three, four, five years, people will be talking, how do we develop AI? How do we make sure... Internet of things. Internet sensors. of things, sensors and all mm. that. And we're robbing opportunities. We, it's For me, it's like we're repeating the cycle of opportunities again being accessible mm. to those who have. Now, it's a different kind of... Um, different version of exclusion which is totally digital those who have good access to internet and good access to resources Mm -hmm. now this has nothing to do with um race it's purely based on where you are in the world it's class it's class Mm. it's class and and some people might say oh yeah because no some schools that are in certain regions don't have proper access to internet Mm. So it's a very classicist now, and mm. it's repeating itself again. Where people who suffer more are women. If you go to ITU's results, they said more. These past three years, women have been using internet lesser and lesser and lesser. Yes, they are on Facebook. Yes, they are on Twitter, and what, but that's not what we want to be doing. We want to be producing content. Mm. Produce content, create business cases that use the internet. Yeah, and that's denying us that opportunity, even for business, for startups. How do you grow your business and and scale it if you are in a situation where most of the your clientele should be people using the internet and they have no access to internet? <laughs> and 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 I guess the the reality of it is also maybe more stark and disgusting if I can use the term you were using earlier on. If you consider that we are in an information age, where information in many ways is currency. Um, and if you are deprived of that kind of information at an early stage in your own formative years or in your own intellectual development, the likelihood is that you're going to have an economy that chucks you out later on in your life because the exclusion now is not just going to be around formal, maybe informal economy or people can't access jobs, but you're going to be digitally excluded. You're going to be digitally excluded. And it's, it's the sad exclusion because it also goes with esteem. Mm-hmm. People don't get good jobs. People don't participate in the economy of the country. It's it's really going to be a a very sad scenario for Africa as a mm-hmm. whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I don't think 
we as the citizens of South Africa mm. not South Africa is a very skilled country. Number one, we've got the best tech hubs. We've mm. got everything is there. We just need the support of those people who make decisions. Government needs to mm. make proper decisions in terms of the infrastructure. Yeah. And if we can get that right, the infrastructure and making sure that we roll out our programs super fast and we give entrepreneurs the opportunity to produce the innovation and give them support, mm. it would be different because we we are very fortunate to be in a country where there's very good startups that come, that has come out mm. of this country. I mean, this in Cape true. Town yeah. alone, and there's enough people wanting to invest in our startups. It's just that the, eco, the ecosystem from the decision maker mm. side is not that viable. Mm. Do, you, do you train the people you train to also train others? Yes, yes, we do. Mm. Um, we do. We all our students that we've taken for internship now, they're working on Africa Code Week. Okay. So next week they will be doing rolling courses in schools, and we encourage them to adopt someone. Um, mm. If we train you, please adopt at least four or five girls that you can also teach. Uh, we've we've now uh, been lenient in saying if you are a guy and you want to learn, as long as you're not gonna come in take a leadership of thinking you know it all mm. um, you can come to your classes but <laughs> <they don't. laughs> yeah mm. um, we live in an economy that's that's very sad in terms mm. of unemployment and I I'm one of those people who believe that if we do not educate people now of the tech opportunities mm. we're going to have a serious problem in the next three years Asbaratan mm. We'll have to leave it there. Pleasure catching up with you. I wish you all the best uh, uh, in the work that you do. And uh, uh, I certainly hope that many of the people that are listening into the show, least of all, uh, are going to be uh, able to understand, I guess, the depth of the work that you are doing and the opportunity cost of not doing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we think inequality that we have in this country now as the most unequal society in the world uh, is bad, uh, imagine what happens when you digitize that inequality. Yeah. So Swam, thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. That there is Baratang Mia, CEO of Girl Hype Woman Who Code, a non-profit that uh, provides programming and app development uh, training to young girls. She's also Senior Managing Director at Uhuru Spaces. Joining us for our tech conversation on this Wednesday.